Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. We're in the last Sunday of this worship series that we've been working on together for about six weeks. Um, And the worship series is called Tell It Slant. We've been reading these parables from the sort of middle to ending section of Luke's gospel. And maybe you remember six weeks ago, they started out funny. They were exaggerated and absurd and all the flamingos looked right at home among those stories. But you've noticed perhaps the last couple weeks they're getting less so because Jesus has been traveling toward and then into the heart of Jerusalem. And he has arrived there in between the last parable we heard last week and this one tonight. If we were following the narrative sequence in Luke's gospel, we would have just heard that in chapter 19, Luke, uh, Jesus has ridden into town on the back of a colt. Luke, as a storyteller, is just too dignified to put Jesus on an ass. So he says colt. And he has violently driven out the moneymakers in the temple courtyard. And at the very end of Luke chapter 19, we get this report. Every day, Jesus was teaching in the temple. And the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people kept looking for a way to eliminate him but they did not find anything they could do for all the people were spellbound by what they heard. And then we move into chapter 20, verse one, and together tonight, let's remember the final parable Jesus tells in this gospel. One day as he was teaching the people in the temple and telling them the good news, the chief priests and the scribes came with the elders and said to him, tell us, By what authority are you doing these things? Who is it that gave you this authority? He answered them, I will also ask you a question. You tell me, did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it of human origin? They discussed it with each other, saying, if we say from heaven, he's going to say, well, why did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered, "Uh." then Jesus said to them, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. He began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and leased it to tenants and went to another country for a long time. And when the season came, he sent an enslaved person to the tenants in order that they might give him his share of the produce of the vineyard. But the tenants beat that enslaved person and sent him away empty-handed. Next, the owner sent another enslaved person. That one also they beat and insulted and sent away empty-handed. And he sent still a third. This one also they wounded and threw out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, 
what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they discussed it among themselves and said, this is the heir, let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give that vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, heaven forbid. But he looked at them and said, what then does this text mean? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the scribes and the chief priests realized that he had told this parable against them, oh, they wanted to lay hands on him at that very hour, but they feared the people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. How many chances would you have given them, the tenants on your land, the ones who signed a lease promising to tend your vineyard and share the produce in payment for its use? Or how about this? How many months do you think our landlord would let us go without paying the rent and utilities on the big red barn. I mean, he likes us and he's a generous man, but this is how he makes his living. How many months could you stay where you live without paying the rent or the mortgage? What about if you also assaulted every agent that came to collect? When Mark has Jesus tell this story, the vineyard owner sends three slaves in a row to collect the rent and they beat one, they give another a concussion and murder the third. And then Mark says in chapter 12, verse five, and so it was with many others, some they beat and others they killed. When Matthew remembers the story, the vineyard owner sends cohorts of slaves to collect from the first group, the tenants beat one, murder another, stone a third. And when the second group comes to try again, more of them than the first, Matthew 21, 36, they receive more of the same. Matthew's landscape is littered with casualties. For Luke, it just cannot be that many. Parables can be hyperbolic and absurd, yes, but this is too much. This story Jesus told will strain credulity to the breaking point, Luke figures, so he tones it down. Just three. Three rejected slaves, each one beaten and insulted in their turn, but not murdered, are all he figures the listener can be asked to absorb. Anything more would be. Well, anything more would be not just implausible, monstrous comes to mind. I mean, what kind of person has multi-packs of disposable slaves? What kind of person, having learned through repeated exposure the wretched ingrates his tenants are, then sends his child, his beloved, the one with whom he is well pleased? <laughs> 
But let's back up. Remy planned this Tell It Slant worship series, and I am telling you that here at the end because I know how many of you have enjoyed it, and I hope that you will tell Remy so. Tonight's parable is the only one for which they assigned a section of Luke that includes not only the parable, but also the story that comes just before it, the context in which Jesus tells his tale. As I noted before the reading, Jesus has made his way into the heart of Jerusalem where he will stay through the bitter end. He's on familiar and precious ground here, drawing an audience of his beloved religious kin for hour upon hour, day upon day of public teaching in the temple. We have seen him do this in synagogues across the countryside, opening the scrolls of scripture reading aloud from the testimony of our and his ancestors in faith and proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God's reign, the delicious reality that right here, right now, wherever Jesus is, God is getting everything God wants. And his hearers are eating it up every morsel of faith, every crumb of hope, every drop of love he has to offer. And the VRPs, the very religious persons, are agitated. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders, basically every variety of VRP whose responsibility this religion is, they are scared. He scares them. I can understand their fear. This barn is not a temple, and I am not a chief priest, but if a charismatic preacher-teacher type showed up at Galileo and started doing their thing, uninvited, uncredentialed, and y'all decided they were amazing, I'd be worried. Not so much that I'd lose my job, okay, maybe a little, but that they might take you somewhere you ought not go, theologically speaking. I'd feel protective. I might decide to take steps. So see, the VRPs are taking steps. They come as a group, like the unlucky slaves in Matthew's version of the parable, and one of them has drawn the short straw. They shove that guy to the front, he clears his throat, <clears throat> and says nervously, tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? Who is it that gave you this authority? Now, it might sound like they're the galdang sheriff's deputy asking if he's got a county permit to sell these pumpkins from the back of his pickup by the side of this road. But their question is actually pretty legit. Teaching in the temple, speaking about God and even for God to God's people is a big deal. We authorize people for that, they say, and you are not on any of our rosters. Just last week, church, I filled out paperwork to request renewal of my standing as an ordained person in our denomination. I told them when I last took the required anti-racism pro-reconciling training, February, and when I last completed a required class on pastoral boundaries and ethics, also February. I included information about my continuing education efforts and how I've been of service to the church beyond the weekly responsibilities of my work for Galileo. 
And did you know Galileo Church currently has four candidates moving through our denomination's ordination process toward their initial credentialing, along with a handful more who are in various stages of discernment toward that goal? By what authority are you doing these things? Who is it that gave you this authority? are questions God's faithful people are still asking our teacher preachers today. So why won't Jesus answer it? I mean, this definitely reads like one of those times when he just refused to accept their terms. He asks a question back, a tricky one, about his baptizing cousin John, his head so recently separated from his body by one of the horrible Herods. Did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it of human origin? By whose authority, in other words, did John dunk people in the River Jordan for the repentance and forgiveness of their sins? It's a clever rejoinder for sure. The VRPs have some math to do um, about how many of Jesus's eager listeners were likely to have been baptized by John in the months just past. The safe bet is lots. And the fact that the VRPs did not, could not or would not, almost doesn't matter, did not protect one of their own priest's sons, a popular revivalist renewing people's interest in holy living from that horrible Herod. Well, it exposes the inherent weakness in their own authority, doesn't it? Jesus has found their weak spot, their Achilles heel. He won't be answering their question after all. Then Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. No sooner has he said it, than he turns back to his listeners, back to the people to tell them a story. Once upon a time, a man planted a vineyard he begins, and his audience leans in. This is a parable with a long memory, someone has said. Literarily, it remembers Isaiah 5, which Peter helped us read tonight. Isaiah 5 is but one of many places in Jesus' own Bible where God's people are metaphorized as God's vineyard. Israel is imagined as a vineyard, that God plants and tends with great care, a vineyard that sometimes flourishes and other times yields nothing but wild grapes, a vineyard that breaks God's heart and pisses God off, and sometimes by grace and by season's end, its vines heavy with grapes. The vineyard is the metaphorical manifestation of God getting everything God wants. So, a man planted a vineyard, Jesus says, and his listeners wait to hear if it's a good season for grapes or not. But Jesus doesn't want to talk about grapes. He wants to talk about the people who tend the grapes, the tenants, and the vineyard owner who has invited them to take care of it in his stead. It seems reasonable not particularly parabolic, that the owner would send an errand boy to collect the rent the first time. 
He probably does a lot of business in a lot of places. He has learned to delegate, but when that one returns empty-handed to report his hostile reception, does it seem reasonable that he'd send another and then another? Even Luke's subdued plotting seems too, too many. So Jesus's audience could be laughing here at the slapstick violence of fat lips and black eyes, at the foolishly optimistic landowner who does not understand that all tenants secretly resent their landlord. Not you, Adlai, if you're listening, we love you and appreciate this barn and still hope for that new air conditioner before the summer. But the VRPs who are listening from the edge of the crowd, they're not amused. The long memory of this parable includes history, old and new, of God's own messengers sent to Israel and mistreated, prophet after prophet, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, Amos, even cranky old Zephaniah, who we read last week, and more recently, headless John, no longer baptizing. More than three, for sure. More like the many more of Mark and Matthew. The vineyard owner, it seems, has been trying to collect from the tenants for a long time, but God's collectors have not been treated well by the ones authorized to tend the vines. Get it? And because they are still listening from the edge of the crowd, those VRPs, we have to wonder, did Jesus really not take their question about his authority seriously? He said he wasn't going to answer it. But isn't he with this parable? Because it seems to me this story is all about authority. Who has it? Who claims it? Who wants it back? The tenants flout the authority of the slaves sent by the vineyard owner and thus disregard the authority of the owner himself. One might reasonably ask then, why, why does the vineyard owner not go himself? Why send messenger after messenger after messenger? And knowing the tenant's capacity for real violence, why, oh why send the beloved son? That's not going to end well, dude. You have to know that. Indeed, in our creative team meeting to talk through this text a few weeks ago, one of the readers could hear only bitterness in Jesus' voice as he tells this story. What kind of father sends his son unprotected into certain danger at the hands of those who have so thoroughly demonstrated their disregard for what's right? In the world of the story, at least, there's a simple solution to the vineyard owner's problem. He just has to show up himself with his armored truck and his armed guards to take what's his. He only has to show them who's boss, lay claim to the authority he's got as the owner, and no more slaves get beat up. No beloved son has to die. Indeed, maybe even the tenants don't have to die because they will certainly give over the rent if the owner comes in full force. Which means, the way Jesus tells it, one of two things. 
Either this vineyard owner is tragically and monstrously bad at his job, or this thing was never about the grapes anyway. Because it would have been so easy to get the grapes he was owed, right? Just show up, make a show of force, take what's rightfully his. That is, if the vineyard owner saw this project as transactional, doing the math of how much he could get for how much he had already given. But what if that's not what the vineyard owner wanted in the first place? The tenants thought it was. Jesus' listeners thought it was. But in this story world, Profit cannot be the point, or he'd have gotten it already. What if what the vineyard owner really wants is, stay with me here, a relationship with the tenants? What if what he wants is for the tenants to want to share with him? What if he sends lowly messengers to humbly ask for reciprocation of the care he has shown for them, building such a fine vineyard, inviting them to enjoy its bounty? What if it's not transactional? What if it's a gift given in hopes of inspiring mutuality? I'm saying, what if the vineyard owner is genuinely flummoxed by these tenants, not because they won't make good on the contract, but because they don't love him back? If he goes himself, his weaponized lieutenants riding alongside, he can coerce the payment, but he will not win their hearts. What if each messenger he sends is his repeated overture, his bid for their friendship, his chronic hope that one day they'll return his affection? In which case, by this logic of love, his decision to send the beloved son would make perfect parabolic sense. The previous messengers, he figures, were not persuasive because they did not represent the vineyard owner's whole heart. The son, the beloved, well, that is his heart walking around outside his body. No one will mistake his message this time. It is a full-throated declaration of love to send the son. You ask by what authority I'm doing these things, Jesus says. Let me tell you a story. Once upon a time, a man planted a vineyard. And by story's end, the definition of authority has been seriously scrambled. Jesus is here by authority of the vineyard owner, his own father, not to collect or coerce, not to strong arm payment of all that God is due, but to do only what any of God's messengers have ever done. Declare the breathtaking extent of God's love for these vines and the land they grow from, for the vine dressers who tend it with their hands and their hearts, for the grapes and the wine they yield. Oh, I know this isn't what you want to hear, Jesus says, turning from the crowd back to the simmering VRPs. This is a way of thinking about God you cannot bear that God is vulnerable and waiting, chronically disappointed and chronically hopeful. But that idea about God that you have rejected, 
Friends, that is the cornerstone of God's logic. Everything else we can know about God rests on that, is built on that. And if you can't get with it, you're gonna stumble over that cornerstone again and again, and you'll be worse off than those concussed slaves. Same stone, cornerstone or stumbling block depends entirely on you. What do we do with that, church? A God who sends and sends and sends and sends. A God who authorizes nothing but love. Hoping against hope will respect the Son, the beloved, in whom God is so pleased. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.